a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Tannock. I'm a journalist. And Keith, today we're talking about transparent warfare and how social media is playing its part. Now, a recent article in The Economist talks about the new era of transparent warfare. It highlights that in the past, the way America, for example, has aspired on Russia's military activity has been via very expensive expert means like spy satellites, surveillance flights, even human agents. But we're now in a new era of what's called open source intelligence. So what is it? So open source intelligence is yet another form of intelligence to get our heads around. So traditionally, we've spoken about human intelligence. So that's human. So that's your James Bond-type figures, if you like, um, glamorised by Ian Fleming, who had been in intelligence during the war. So that's one form. That's one that most people think about, human spies. And then also during the war, uh, we get the rise of electronic intelligence, e-lint. So e-lint is where you're able to listen into the radio signals of other people and hear what they're getting up to. And again, Ian Fleming was... Um, part of that, and in one of his uh, novels, I think it's from Russia with Love, actually describes a machine that you're not allowed to mention. And the British government, when the novel came out, had to work out whether they should arrest Ian Fleming and get the book banned. Uh, In the end, the novel went through, you know, went okay, Nobody noticed it except for those who'd worked in intelligence oh, during the war. He was saying, oh, this, this is Enigma. This yeah. is the Enigma wow. machine, which we're not allowed to talk about. And nobody was allowed to talk about until about 1972, by which time, of course, the war had been over for almost 30 years. So that's electronic intelligence. And Australia plays an important role in all of that because of our spy bases that we host in this country, particularly the one at Pine Gap. So that's the second form of intelligence. But now we're moving into what's called open source intelligence whereby it's stuff that's easily available now in the public domain. So it's not done by people sneaking in and photocopying uh, files or anything like that. It's not done by necessarily by listening in to what are otherwise secret conversations. It's just by accumulating so much information. And we can now do that now so much easier, again, thanks to innovations in the area of information technology, et cetera. So that's been the really big breakthrough. And as you say, this article, which appeared in the British magazine, The Economist, talks about the way in which we now have this new era of transparent warfare. The article was written at around the time of the Russian buildup on the border with Ukraine. So this is before the actual invasion, but it was it, they were able to monitor through civilian satellites. It's not military satellites. These are civilian satellites who are now as good as you'll get in the military area and you just fly over all these regions taking photographs. This uh, breakthrough began a few decades ago and there was a French company that actually said to people, pay us and we'll take photos for you. So the time of the Chernobyl disaster, which was 1986, this French satellite company was very happy to work for Western news outlets by taking photographs of the damaged reactor at Chernobyl, which, of course, is back in the news now because that's in northern 
Ukraine. So this this notion of open source intelligence is it becoming more and more significant. We saw again a, another little commentary on this um, in 1990, 1991, when George Bush Sr. went to war against Iraq to liberate Kuwait. And CIA complained that he was not reading their briefings. And George Bush said, yeah, well, your briefings arrive a day late. I'm getting my stuff live from CNN, <laughs> open source intelligence. So um, what, that, what the economist is now talking about is a whole new world that is opening up, including the way that the Russians love to have uh, dash cam cameras and their systems can be hacked into so we can see what the Russian tank drivers are seeing. It's a great example. So what are we talking about? Publicly available information. So what are some other examples? I mean, satellites, for example. Satellites would be spying. Um, Another organisation is called Bellingcat. So Bellingcat, Bell the Cat. In other words, if you want to stop your cat from killing the birds in the garden, you wrap a a bell around its neck and that serves as a warning to the birds as a cat coming around. So Bellingcat was started as a private initiative by uh, somebody living in Great Britain. And he just decided to do his own digging around using all this modern technology. And spying inside Russia now is just so easy to do because everything is for sale in Russia. So we had Alexei Navalny, who was poisoned on board a a Russian plane, and Bellingcat were able to buy the flight manifest and see who was flying on the plane and be able to say these must have been the agents that helped poison him. And those obviously those flight manifests are normally, you know, not available to the public. But now if you've got money, everything is for sale in Russia. You can get all sorts of information. And we're not just talking about information for sale. I mean, social media is key. There have been so many people posting on social media even since the Ukraine crisis. But when we look at open source intelligence, how has it been used to track Russia's recent military buildup around the Ukrainian border, as you mentioned? Well, because of the way in which they're able now, people are take, busy taking photographs, etc., and everybody who's got a mobile phone is now a broadcaster. This has been the big breakthrough, that in the old days, um, to broadcast, you would have had to have needed an elaborate camera, TV camera, and an elaborate system of communicating to the outside world. That's why... In the old days, broadcasting was via monopolies like the BBC or CNN. Now, everybody can be their own broadcaster through uh, the internet. And so all this information that we're getting about Russia, people taking photographs of heavily laden tanks, etc., and just uploading them onto the internet. The problem may well be that we get too much information. That's a separate issue. But we're certainly getting a hell of a lot more information. Look, I used to travel behind the Iron Curtain in the Cold War years. There was no street map available if you were in Moscow because either you knew where you were going, in which case you didn't need the map, or you didn't know uh, how to get there and you were going there for mischief and therefore you shouldn't be told. So it was actually very difficult for a foreigner to move around in Moscow, but that was the whole point of it. And the same with telephone. There was no telephone directory in Moscow. You either knew the number or you didn't. It was as simple as that. Now we've gone from that extreme of an information vacuum to the other extreme where so much information is now so easily available. And in fact, there's an interesting example given in this Economist article about a Russian military camp uh, and a satellite company based in Colorado. So what happened there and how have civilians helped to give a more complete picture of that situation? 
So the value then of that um, Colorado-based company is that it was able, therefore, to supply us with a lot more information. And, of course, the, the camera technology has been improving as well. And so they're just able, um, the company in Colorado uh, photographs more than 3 million square kilometres of the earth every day. So you can actually see the tanks moving when you compare film footage from one country to another. And this this has meant that we can just get such much more of a close idea what goes on. If you, again, you think back in, in history, we had the U-2 spy plane. So, you know, the most well-known example of that was Gary Powers who got shot down. This would have been in the late 50s, very early 60s, the time of Eisenhower. So this was a plane that would fly very high and carry and take photos. Well, now we do all that as a matter of routine by satellites. And we can spy on on Russia much more easily. We don't need to risk the lives of brave pilots to fly over the Soviet Union or Russia to know what's going on in that country. And in this example, you've got satellites to see military movements. But then, as you mentioned previously, you've then got civilians actually with dashboard-mounted cameras, which can then show where that equipment or yep. um, where the military is heading to. So you're using two different sources of openly available information, putting the pieces together. It is absolutely amazing, this new era of warfare into which we're now living. So it is really very significant indeed. So how much does social media play a part in transparent warfare when you have people in the conflict zone, as we've seen in Ukraine uh, at the moment, um, actually posting pictures, videos and updates in real time? Well, if you look at what our coverage has been of the Ukraine conflict, for example, a lot of that has relied on social media and the, the news stories getting through to Western media with people who are doing it in real time. Again, go back to a sense of history because I think it's worth emphasising how much things have changed in the last few years. In um, World War II, there's a very famous uh, story of how information about the Melbourne Cup was relayed to Australian troops on the front line in Papua New Guinea fighting the Japanese, you know, and how they filmed it. Then they had to fly the film canisters into <laughs> into PNG. Then you had to arrange for showings. It's, it's a and different world. And now we've world. got the instant gratification of a live stream video or a of, of the tweet Melbourne Cup, or a, exactly. You know, anything yeah. like that, too. So it really has been transformative, really, since World War II. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. I'm Sasha Tannick, and Keith, today we're talking about transparent warfare. So when it comes to this open source intelligence, how much more difficult is the element of surprise in warfare? <laughs> That's a good point. It, it's obviously much more difficult because um, if you go again, another example from history, the Duke of Wellington uh, fighting the French 200 years ago, used to keep his troops behind, uh, a lot of his troops behind hills. So the, the French looking across the battlefield at the British lines could not work out how many troops were actually there. And so uh, as the, the battle wore on during the day, the Duke would simply deploy more and more of his soldiers to the front, whereas today, of course, you would send up a drone and you'd get that live coverage. So it is very difficult, although it's got to be borne in mind that we've got to be careful we don't end up getting too obsessed about technology and toys for the boys stuff. Yes, you can see the massing of weaponry, et cetera, but you don't actually know 
what the intention is going to be. And that, again, going back to Ukraine, we could see the Russian build-up very clearly. We could see how the tanks were moving across. We could see how they were bringing in forces from the Russian Far East all the way across through 10 time zones. So we could see all of that, but we had no idea about what was going on in Putin's mind. And Putin is paranoid and doesn't use a mobile phone. So we we couldn't track down his conversation. Very different, by the way, from Osama bin Laden, who was a terrorist, but he always used to ring his mother every week. And at Pine Gap in Central Australia, we used to listen to those conversations. Now, unfortunately, when he was talking to his mother, he didn't reveal any operational details that would be of use in a military sense, but it showed that he was a he was a good son. So, you know, one can listen. And by the way, Osama bin Laden did not believe the Americans were listening in and so continued with those conversations. And the Americans almost managed to kill him. But it was just messing around inside the Clinton administration, authorising a strike on, uh, on Afghanistan. Uh, which which gave him time to get out of the cave. Otherwise, bin Laden would have been killed well before 9-11 because he simply did not believe that anybody could be listening in on his phone conversations. Now I think people are, are much warier of their phones, um, and Putin certainly is, so he doesn't use mobile phones. He's very careful about his communications. Now, in the event if there were to be a, a conflict between, head-on conflict between the United States and Russia, the obvious thing to do would be to kill him. But it's going to be very difficult for an American nuclear strike to find him. And it does raise the question, how much could a country like Russia then use open source intelligence to its advantage to confuse the situation or send out different signals? And this is disinformation. Yep. And this is what goes on. Um, and it's also, um, again, we saw that in World War II with the um, if you like, black intelligence, where you had all sorts of black propaganda that that was issued the British are very coy about the full details about the work that was done uh, because of some of the scandalous stuff which they publicised about the Nazis. But if you think back to the lead-up to June 1944, they, uh, under uh, General Patton, created a whole army of dummy tanks in one part of England, giving the impression they're about to, to cross the Channel to attack Dover whereas, in fact, they were going down to Normandy. So it was, it was very skillful on the part of the Allies in being able to mislead the Germans into thinking where the attack would come on that Atlantic seawall. So, again, it's not a, a new idea, but the Russians have certainly, and others, I've got to say the Americans are very good as well, um, at sort of issuing all sorts of incorrect information as part of disinformation, which has meant, and we need to look at this, I think, on a separate occasion, the whole breakdown of trust in terms of information because clearly we're we're moving into an era of disinformation and that is the risk that we now run, that not only is it the Russians doing it to us but others as well. So there is that real problem. So you've got to be on your guard, otherwise you could end up believing all sorts of rubbish. And you mentioned Osama bin Laden, who now seems somewhat naive that he didn't know they could be tracking his conversations. But what about the use of uh, this kind of intelligence by terrorist organisations or criminal groups to, in fact, increase their intelligence capability? Absolutely. And that's part of the problem because um, they now know how to, they know they're being monitored. And so they're having to work out how they can avoid being monitored and what are the tricks of the trade which they can then implement. Um, this is particularly obvious in the case of the drug smugglers who fly into Florida now with the, 
the cocaine from South America, and they're using all sorts of evasive techniques to avoid being caught up. It means that policing now becomes a lot more complicated. It always was complicated, and now it's even more complicated because of the ability of groups to just be able to disguise what they were doing, et cetera. So it must be key for the intelligence analysts to make sure they're using good open source intelligence and analysing in a way that gives them a bigger picture combined with the other sources of information. Yeah, and at the end of the day, intelligence itself is a very inexact science. I realise you won't get that impression from Hollywood, but um, you know, in a prior life I used to see certain intelligence reports and I've got to say they're often very difficult to try to work out exactly what was going on. As I say, at the end of the day, you, you can get an idea. Let's take the Ukraine example. We could see the Russian tanks building up on the border, but we were not sure what was going on inside Putin's mind. So that, that's the problem, that, that you, you can get some information on deployments of weapons, but not on motivations, not what's going on in people's minds. And by the same token, I think we have to emphasise that uh, and we have to avoid this sort of infatuation with toys for the boy stuff about at the end of the day, battles are won not just by intelligence, but are, are won by the fighting spirit of the individuals. And this, of course, is where Russia has gone wrong with Ukraine. We've um, certainly as seen we a lot speak, of that the battle spirit. is still going on. The fighting spirit of the Ukrainians is brilliant, vastly outnumbered 140 million versus 40 million. They're vastly outnumbered. And yet they have great fighting spirit. And of course, you could say the same about Afghanistan. The Russians invaded in 1979, never completely occupied the country, and in the end had to retreat. So I think it's good to be able to say, yes, we now have new ways of getting intelligence, but there are new challenges that are being thrown up by all of this. And at the end of the day, it's not just intelligence. It's the fighting spirit, the morale, of the individuals who are caught up in the struggle. They are the ways that you sort out the disputes at the end of the day, not just relying too much on intelligence. I think it's great what's happening with intelligence, but we've got to get back to the fighting spirit, morale, et cetera, of ordinary individuals. And what we've seen in Ukraine has been a marvellous mobilisation of that fighting spirit to defend their country. So to your point then, open source intelligence certainly provides a completely different picture to the warfare we've seen in the past and a, a new transparency, but it's not the whole solution. It's just another part of the puzzle. It's just, yes, it just means if you're fighting a battle, it's even more complicated because it means that you're now dealing with the fact that people can keep a very close eye on you. Um, and, and it also means that you've got to think about yourself as to whether or not you really want to go to war in the first place. Thanks, Keith. Fascinating. <laughs> I look forward to our next episode of Global Truths. Thank you. That was this week's episode of Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Make sure you tune in next week when we'll break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Listener.